We bring you this special radio television broadcast in order to give you the very latest information on an amazing phenomenon. Just a minute, ladies and gentlemen, I think something is happening. Good evening. I hope you'll excuse me if I appear a trifle excited. What we've got here is failure to communicate. I want all of you to get up out of your chairs. Whatever appears emerges as raw experience for those who watch it. You unlock this door with the key of imagination. Beyond it is another dimension. A dimension of sound. A dimension of sight. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Sword Cinema Podcast. This week we're going to be looking at 2002's Dog Soldiers, written and directed by Neil Marshall. Here's a clip. One of the most explosive, brutal, and purely enjoyable horror debuts since The Evil Dead. Genuinely frightening. Jaws, Aliens, and Predator with a werewolf twist. Come Absolutely brilliant. Thrilling. Exciting. Scary. I don't scare that easy. And funny. I'm sold. A horror film with bite. You are. Sarge! I'm in the closet! of a werewolf movie. Dog soldiers. It'll blow your house down. All right, that was a clip from 2002's Dog Soldiers, a one of the rare werewolf movies. We don't get a whole lot of werewolf movies anymore, that, especially not since 2002 when this thing was made. Um, this is as the story of a, a group of British, uh, I believe they're just British army, who get dropped into Scotland on a training mission and encounter something they did not expect. A family of werewolves that traps them in a house and eats them. <laughs> Actually eats them. Uh, all right, so joining me today to discuss this great indie horror, well, it's, I, don't know, I wouldn't even call it a horror movie, but we'll probably get to that later. Um, but it's a great little indie Indie werewolf movie, I'll call it. Uh, Ricky D. <laughs> What's up, Patrick? You just... Okay, now I'm confused. This is not a horror film? This is totally a horror film. I don't see this as a horror movie. I see it as like an... Adv- it's almost like an adventure movie. Kind of like how Predator is not really a straight-up horror movie. It's an action movie. I see this as like the Predator of werewolf movies. Well, now you've gone and lost your mind. We should introduce the guest before I ask you a question. <laughs> All right. Also joining us to talk about this is fan of the movie Tim Mason. What's up, guys? Been a been a hot second since uh, we recorded a podcast together. No way we do it all the time. Yes, Tim is joining us from the N Express Nintendo podcast, which you can also find on Goombastown, where we talk about Nintendo stuff. This is decidedly un-Nintendo Dog Soldiers. Uh, It's definitely a lot gorier than Mario ever gets. A little bit. I think there's a lot of parallels we could make. (laughs) We are two minutes in and already like five hot takes. Man, Patrick, this is your pick. You chose this movie. I love this movie. I don't know if you know this, but I love this movie. Here's the thing, though. I've seen this movie five times over the years, and only recently was it easy for me to kind of figure out who's who and what the movie is about because of characters or actors like Liam Cunningham, 
who went on to do things like Game of Thrones. He's Sir Davos. And even Kevin McKidd, he went on to star in Rome and Trainspotting. But I remember when I first watched this movie, I really liked it, but I had a really hard time keeping up with the plot for two reasons, or three reasons. Number one, I don't think it makes any sense. Number two, <laughs> this movie never had a good transfer. And so back in the days when I used no. to watch this, even on DVD, it was so dark and so grainy. And number three everybody looks exactly the same which of course you know they're all white they're all like scottish or british or something and they're all soldiers so they all dress exactly the same and they have the same haircut and the same accent and so like i remember watching this movie and just being so confused until like finally we get megan played by emma cleesby she shows up she's the only lady and you know who she is because everyone else looks exactly the same except for her although she does kind of look like the dudes it's just like she's a lady version but my point is <laughs> am i the only one who thinks that everyone in this movie looks the same it's so hard to tell what is happening and what the hell and i know we're gonna jump straight into spoilers what the hell is this movie about? Because when we, when we get to the end and they give us that twist, to this day, I still do not understand what it is about. Um, so, <laughs> first of all, I, I picked this movie because uh, we always at least like say, you know, we always try to do something like why we why we pick something. I, I, I don't know. I, werewolf movies are they're, they're, they're a dime a dozen. There's a lot of them out there, especially from the 70s and 80s and stuff like that uh, and few in the 90s. But there rarely are any good ones. I mean, honestly, I'm not a big fan of The Howling. I know a lot of people like that. So you basically got American Werewolf in London. Another hot take. I love The Howling. And then, yeah, a lot of people like that one. I'm not a big fan of it. But, um, yeah, and then you've got this one. And so, I don't know. I was feeling more in a fun mood. There's no real reason other than I saw The Descent was having an anniversary. Uh, Neil Marshall's The Descent, which he made right after Dog Soldiers, was having an anniversary this uh, in June here, I believe. And so I thought, you know what? I'm going to do a Neil Marshall movie. Because even though his career hasn't exactly been like the, the best after The Descent, uh, he did direct some of those Game of Thrones episodes. I'm not sure if that actor from Dog Soldiers was in any of the episodes he directed. But um, I thought, yeah. Let me go back and let me do a Neil Marshall movie. I love Dog Soldiers. It's a great example of low-budget filmmaking. And it's a great example of how you can do a werewolf movie. Even though I don't consider it like the the definitive werewolf movie, I think is still American Werewolf in London so far. Although I think there's a better werewolf movie to be made. I just Well, well it was yeah, made in 1941, actually. It's The Wolfman. But no. no. I, I am like a pretty big – I like the lore of werewolves. And I've always been on like the werewolf camp when it comes to monster debates. So I've seen a, my fair share of werewolf movies, and I totally get what you're saying that there there are too few of them, and too few done well. Too many of them just kind of devolve into very campy costume work. And I think that this is one of those ones that just really demonstrates that you don't necessarily need the biggest budget. You don't need the best transformation. Work with what you have and provide an original take on it, and then you can come out with a stellar movie. And I think that this movie does that in spades. It doesn't try to be an American werewolf in London. It doesn't try to have the best transformation. It skips over a transformation in the movie because well, they clearly didn't have a budget for it, and I think it works better for it. 
It's also very shallow. It's a movie that I really, really like, but it's an extremely shallow werewolf movie. Werewolves, of course, like most monsters, can be metaphors for things and can have hidden meanings. Like, you know, vampires have had done this for a long time. Uh, and werewolves could, too. There's change there. And I think American Werewolf in London definitely has more uh, subtext to it. This is this one really does not. And that's fine. Not every not everyone has to. You know, um, you know, there are a couple of cheesy werewolf movies that are OK, like Silver Bullet. Like, fine. I, I you know. That's all right with Gary Busey. Um, Man, you really do not like werewolf movies, and yet you picked a werewolf movie. I want to like them. See, that's the thing. I love the concept of werewolves, and I really, really want to like a lot of them. I just don't think that there there haven't been a lot of good ones. I think there's so much potential for werewolves, and this this one's a very good one. I like it. It is really shallow, but it, I, I, I do like it a lot. At least they do everything well. And Neil Marshall does his whole like group of people stuck in a in an environment and being uh, assaulted by monsters. The which head of the living dead set up, yeah. And he perfected that with The Descent. Like, I think The Descent is one of the ultimate of those kinds of movies. So, yeah, it's a good example of where he was going to. And The Descent is a little more horror than this is. Now, I know there's a lot of gore in this movie, but all right, Rick, well, you did ask some questions, though. We should probably get back to those before we... So the the first thing is, yes, I also have the problem telling these guys apart. It usually takes me 20 minutes. And I've seen this movie several times. It usually takes me 20 minutes before I remember who everybody is. Or Now, I can figure it out a little bit from their accents, because Cooper's got a Scottish accent, and a couple of the guys have a... Like, Spoon's got a British accent, I, I believe, uh, an English one. And uh, and another of the guys who I can't really remember their, all of their names right now. But and I, but like his captain um, or sergeant, I mean the sergeant Wells, he also has a, an English accent. So that's how I tell a lot of them apart. The sergeant's kind of easier because he's barking orders all the time. Um, and he also course, has like a gruffer face. No offense yeah. too. He's older, Tom, we? yeah, a little he's bit older. older. Yeah. Well, um, he's um, he's in Gotham. He plays um, the butler. Alfred, yeah. I, I don't watch Gotham, but I knew that, and I was like, man, these people's careers are so different from when I last watched this movie. And Liam Cunningham as, as the captain, you know, the Special Forces captain, he's pretty easy. I mean, he's he's got one of those faces that looks like he should have been in every British movie during the 80s and 90s. Um, but yeah, the, the, there's, it's tough. Now, as far as the twist goes, I myself have had to puzzle about this, because it seems like there's something cut out there. Uh, Megan's, we'll get into spoilers right now. All right. So at the end of dog soldiers, uh, it's revealed that Megan, the woman that was helping them all along and she had taken them to this house is actually a werewolf. She lets the other werewolves through the back door and, you know, gives them a, a, a wrong target to, to blow up and thus kind of sealing all their fates. Right. And the reasons for her doing this are barely touched upon, but they are there, Rick, they are there. So she briefly mentions that she thought the soldiers could get her out. She was a student that came to study, like she was a zoology student that came to study up there in, in Scotland. And I I think it's hinted at, it's never explicitly said, that, that she was turned into a werewolf up there. And she does say that she was hoping that the soldiers could get her out. But when she realized their position was untenable, that they were going to lose, that's when she decided to side back with the side with the werewolves that she had been trying to get away from, even though she was one of them, she was trying to get away. So here's my question. And I guess, you know, I should have saved this for the end of the show, but if she thought that she didn't stand the chance to quote unquote, get away when technically she did, because she's the one that made it impossible for them to get away because she ambushed them. That's what I don't get. 
she claims that she wants to get away, but it's her fault that the soldiers don't survive. Yeah, because she sees them. They ran out of ammo. They were slowly being picked off. Uh, they were starting to to lose their ability to defend themselves, and it was only going to take like one more assault, and the werewolves are going to have them anyway because they didn't. They were running out of ammo, um, and and also that the the captain had turned into a werewolf, and she knew that the sergeant was going to turn into a werewolf, uh, which yeah. he would have done had he not exploded himself. For first of all, how come she can resist turning into a werewolf, but nobody else can? And does she just not like being a werewolf, and she no longer likes her family, who are also werewolves? And so, like, and and what 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 if she does leave? She's still going to be a werewolf. It's not like she's going to go to the United States of America and she's no longer going to be a werewolf. She will still be a werewolf. So I just did not understand. Like, I like the twist. But it didn't make any sense. Oh, it makes no sense, really, when you think about it. Like, you're right, because what was her plan afterwards? You know, and, well, and, and that's that's one of like the things that makes her character even more shady and questionable in, in the first place. Like, first of all, we don't know that she actually is a, zoolo- a zoologist. She just kind of says it. And we have to either side with her and agree with her. Like, yeah, oh, I believe your no, backstory. That's, that's confirmed, Tim, by the by the captain. He was working with her. She's the one that called the, the <laughs> so, military. So the most the most questionable source in the movie, (laughs) the captain, you're just going to agree with him also. Like that's the thing that is kind of fun about this narrative is that there are a lot of potential holes and a lot that's kept in the dark and they don't deal with it. And I like that it kind of lets you pick and choose what you want to believe it, it, what it means. Uh, I think having seen this movie, having seen this movie a couple of times now in my eyes, Megan and her twist are almost more metaphor than anything else because like early on Cooper says that his only fears are spiders, women and women spiders or spider women and like, ha 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 funny. And I think like there's a a couple of lines of dialogue where she like says something along the lines of like, Oh, it's that time of the month. Might as well just be a werewolf now. That's what she says right before she transforms. She, yeah. And I think that it's supposed to give depth to Cooper as like, oh, he's afraid of women, but he's learning to trust one. But that's never explored in his character. So I think it's trying to give some depth to a movie that doesn't have much. So wait a minute. For listeners, Private Cooper is Kevin McKidd. He's the star of the movie, in my eyes. He was Tommy from Trainspotting. He was in Rome. Kevin McKidd, the best looking dude in the movie, too. But... I thought, okay, I honestly thought the guy was gay. Because, like, it's like the soldiers love each other so much, or at least some of them do, like, to the point where, even though it's this, like, I don't even want to call it a cheesy horror film, but it, it's it's a straight-up action horror film. It's like a siege film. It's about werewolves. It takes place in the middle of nowhere, like a cabin in the woods somewhere in Scotland. But at times, like, you have the swelling music. Like, they actually use an orchestra, right, which is pretty impressive for an independent like low budget horror film and the music kicks in and there's like a conversation between cooper and say spoon or cooper and one of his like buddies and it's like so emotional and then you have this whole twist where she turns into a werewolf and then she delivers that line where she says you know you shouldn't trust women you shouldn't trust me because if you trust me you'll, you'll end up dead and it was just like, it didn't make, again, this movie, like the whole twist made no sense to me. I was so confused. Five times watching, I'm still confused. I still would like to think Private Cooper is gay. 
and he had a love affair with what's his face because that would be a better movie. And well, <laughs> so Wells, here's yeah. the thing. There's Tim's right. There's definitely a few lines about Cooper and women because the captain makes a few references to him. Like, oh, you finally found yourself yeah. a girlfriend. Have you? I know, but that's why I thought he was gay. Like, that's why am I am I crazy for thinking this? They, they didn't explore this properly. I That's why this movie to me, Tim, feels less like um, they're they're le- intentionally leaving things open to mystery and more like they left things out. So to me, this isn't like the thing where they made it intentionally vague. Uh, so that you could keep always keep guessing. To me, it feels like there's stuff left on the cutting room floor or left cut off the off the pages of the script uh, that doesn't quite explain a lot of the stuff that Rick's talking about here. And I'll agree, there's a little, there's weirdness with Cooper. Like, what is going on with this whole thing? Uh, all the men, in fact, like seem to not really get along with her. So there's that guy that likes soccer, and, you know, and she calls it a game, and and he's like, it's not a game. And he, they're, he's very like they're they're not with her at all, like it, which is rare for a soldier movie because usually the guys would be making cracks about her, right? Because she's the only woman there. Uh, they're not doing that at all. Spoon pays no attention to her, like zero. I don't even think he has a single line where he speaks to her. He doesn't care about her at all. He just cares about his band of brothers and the fighting. <laughs> I mean, my my whole thing is, like I said, it's not it's not that they don't pay attention to her. It's more like there's specific lines of dialogue throughout the whole entire film, which references his problem with women. Problem, yeah, yeah. And, but not in a. Mm-hmm. It doesn't seem like a negative way. It's, it, he doesn't come across as someone who hates women. Just no, maybe someone no. who hasn't dated a girl or lady in a long time. Yeah. Maybe because he's gay. Anyways, um, quick story. So the director of this movie, Neil Marshall, was on this very podcast. Neil Marshall had come down to Montreal for the Fantasia Film Festival and Centurion had, I think, had its world premiere at Fantasia. And so we actually interviewed him for this very podcast. If I can find the interview, I'm going to add it to the end of this very episode for our listeners. Um, this movie, um, although I've seen it like five times, remember last last week, Patrick, I was talking about the vast of the night and how it was the first time I used Amazon. I was really upset with the quality of the of the transfer because it was just yeah. so dark. Complete opposite experience at this time. So watching Dog Soldiers on Amazon Prime was the best transfer that I... And I've seen this movie five times now, five different ways. And so far, it's the best transfer. It is by far it's like, the best. It's, it's, it's night and day, as in it, it looks like you're watching a movie in the dark, in the night, live in person, versus you're watching in the day and you can actually see what's happening. I noticed the same thing. I was like, oh, hey, look. I like I can see what they're doing in this room, sh- shady room. But yeah, absolutely the best transfer I've seen. Dude, I had the DVD and it's 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 terrible. So I was so glad to find out that it was on Amazon because I just picked up Amazon Prime for the first time last week. So if anybody wants to watch a movie, it is on Amazon Prime and it does look very good. This movie, right? Okay, so I mean Neil Marshall is a fantastic director. You mentioned The Descent, which is like one of the five best horror films of the past like 20 years like it's incredible mm-hmm. right dog yeah. soldiers is hands down one of the best first time features for any horror film director that i i can remember i mean like in the past 20 years type thing like dog soldiers yep. came out what 2002 i think yeah 2002 so, yeah so i mean this this guy this guy has such an eye for action like he can stage action like it's nobody's business like that's what i love about neil marshall we have to remember that neil marshall by the way directed two if not three of the best episodes of game of thrones and westworld 
and Hannibal. He's the one who directed the episode of Hannibal in which they introduced the Red Dragon. So this guy, not only has he directed one of the greatest werewolf movies of all time, one of the greatest horror films of all time, but he's directed five of the greatest TV episodes of all time. This dude is amazing. <laughs> yeah, if all he had was The Descent, uh, that to me would be enough. Like that's, that's to me is what the, that the, is a, one of my all-time great horror movies. I think it's just perfect in every way. And it's interesting. Like he, he, I like his work when he does things like deal with these group dynamics. And The Descent is kind of the mirror image of uh, Dog Soldiers in many ways. Um, Dog Soldiers is about male camaraderie and male group dynamics in many ways. And the, the female in this movie is kind of incidental to a lot of it. And is almost she's an intruder upon the male di- dynamics. Whereas in The Descent, it is all female dynamics. There are no men involved and you also get similar undercurrents but with a little more depth to it um it seems I, like, a lot a lot more depth yeah Funny he was did. he was able to flirt uh sort of flesh out his ideas i feel dog soldiers to me feels like training for the descent almost which would become like just a perfect little horror I, movie i think the focus is very different also we talked we've been talking about the idea that this isn't really trying to be deep it's it's kind of more on the action adventure vein, like you were talking about Patrick and it like, there is some mere imagery and it's not that it's like an absolute mindless experience. Like it's all very intentional that a group of soldiers is pitted against a group of werewolves. Like there's a lot of like to be said about just that, that notion alone, like just the immediate dichotomy between soldiers in general and uh, killing monsters. And I think there's, there's some depth there. It's, been done to death and like it's super obvious but it's there versus the descent which is actually trying to give an an emotional uh evolution to the character throughout the film unlike this there's no real growth there's no development i disagree i think there is not to the extent of the descent but I really do think he wants us to care for Kevin McKidd's character, Private Cooper. I mean, this movie opens, Captain Ryan is training Cooper, and then he wants him to shoot a dog. And it's a really emotional scene, and he doesn't want to shoot a dog, because nobody's going to shoot a dog, because you're an idiot if you shoot a dog, because dogs rule, and they shall rule the world. But that's beside the point. Like, I mean, like, you know, how many times have you watched a movie, and if someone kills a dog, people, the audience cares more about the dog than all the other people that die in the movie, right? And so I think, like, from that very opening scene... Neil Marshall wanted us to really care for this character, Kevin McKidd's character, Private Cooper, because he is the hero of the movie. He is the main character. He's a protagonist. And he is the one that has the deeper uh, relationships with his unit. His Squadron, unit. Yeah. yeah. Uh, no, he, de- he definitely has the, the most, they look up to him because he's the most experienced. He actually went for special ops training. And even though he failed because he wouldn't kill a dog, uh, that, you know, he's obviously a higher class soldier and his sergeant's glad to have him back and everything like that. I think, uh, I think Neil Marshall does a great job of establishing characters, even though you can't tell them apart by how they look. You start, just, just you start to be able to tell them. Yeah, you start to be able to tell them apart by how they act, though. And so you start to get to know that Spoon is the consummate soldier, right? He just wants to go out and fight, and he's got kind of a a carefree attitude about it. He doesn't get angry, and he doesn't get overly happy or excited. He just kind of enjoys fighting, and he's he's kind of easygoing. Even when they're being attacked by werewolves, he takes it all in stride. And that's just his deal, right? He likes his guns. He's a very simple man. Then you've got, uh, you know, like... 
Wells is the lead, the guy trying to be the leader. Cooper's a little bit more of a leader than him. Wells has seen action. He is a leader. The guys do look up to him, of course. Uh, they're sergeant. Um, he's seen action in Iraq, I believe it was. Um, so he he's kind of the old man, the you know, the group, and he's got to like take care of the kids and you know all that kind of stuff. You, you like all of these guys, and there's the guy that's kind of scared. He doesn't want to get off the helicopter in the very opening scenes. He's saying that he won't go. Like, uh, and of course he's naturally, he's the first one to get it. Um, you know, and the guy that likes, so- all he wants to do is talk about soccer. All that he hates is he's, he wasn't supposed to be here today. You know, <laughs> he was, he was supposed to be at home watching the, the soccer match, the football match uh, between Germany and, and, um, England. So, yeah, but there's definitely, he definitely wants you to like everybody and he, he keeps things kind of light too. That, that also helps. Uh, I mean, obviously, this movie has more of a sense of humor than than The Descent does, which is dead serious and has almost no real laugh moments. Um, the Very characters might laugh, yeah. but the audience never really does uh, because there is that whole thing is just drenched in in doom. But uh, this one, I mean, right up until the end where the, the very end when the papers say, you know, werewolves killed my platoon or something like that. It's, it's clearly meant to have a little bit of a sense of humor and there's funny stuff that happens throughout all of this, even despite some of the, the gore. Um, so he, he's, he's a little lighter. I could be wrong, but it feels like he was heavily influenced by evil dead, evil dead two, especially because one of the characters is named Bruce Campbell, but also Bruce because Campbell. of, yeah, but it's also yeah. because of how he shoots the film, like the camera shots, the way he edits the film. Cause Neil Marshall is also the editor of the movie, not just the director, yeah. which I've, again, makes it easier for the director to stage and set up your action sequences. If you're the one that's going into the editing room, like it's like you envision it in your head. So it's easier for you to actually edit these incredible action scenes. But like, there's some uh, moments, like, especially at the start of the film where, you'll hear like the werewolf running through the, the forest and he'll cut to like close up of the guy's eyes and then like a far shot and it zooms in and then it's an, it's a medium shot and a close up, but it's like really quick, quick uh, edits. Right. And it's very similar to what Sam Raimi does in the evil dead. I, I, I honestly think that this is an incredible first time feature. Like a, apart from me, like nitpicking at the, the quote unquote plot twist, if you want to call it a twist, um, like, it's actually a, an amazing movie. Like, I remember liking it's it. It's better than The Evil Dead was. <laughs> you mean the the remake? No, I mean, it's better than the original Evil Dead as a first-time feature, which is, a you know, obviously it costs a little more than that, too, and it had a bigger budget than that. No, I like The Evil Dead. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to commit heresy here. But if you actually examine The Evil Dead, there's a lot wrong with it, right? This is a better movie than the original Evil Dead was. I don't know if I'll go so far to agree. Um, I get what you're saying. I think in some ways, yes, it's more polished. But I think the original Evil Dead is on my... Like, when I made up my list of the greatest horror films of the 20th century, I think it's on, like, the top 40, if not top 25. Because that movie, especially for its time and what it did and the way it's inspired so many filmmakers uh, yeah, later in the it's future... it's revolutionary. It's revolutionary in a lot of ways. And yep. this isn't. But I love the fact that they don't really use CGI. I think they use CGI once, if I'm not mistaken. Maybe not. Maybe, maybe, maybe they didn't use CGI. I think with like the eye color change. Once, I think that's it. Maybe? Yeah, I, th- I think that's. Yeah. I think. I think I remember hearing or reading about that. But it's essentially old school prosthetics. It's it's dudes running around on stilts, wearing like werewolf uniforms. He does skip the transformation scene, which I think is a smart thing because if you can't do it properly, just don't do it. And mm-hmm. I'm going to talk about that scene later in the movie because I think that scene's fantastic. 
he's a filmmaker who understands what his limits are based on his his budget, his cast, his crew, the amount of uh, time he has to shoot the movie. And so he went into this movie and it was like he was so ready. He planned it like out. Like he knew exactly how much money he had, how many scenes they could do, how many takes they could do. He knew that they couldn't do the werewolf transformation. He got the perfect cast. I mean, like at the time, a lot of these actors were unknowns, right? Like, I mean, even today, if you say Kevin McKidd, people are going to be like, who? And then you say Tommy from Trainspotting. They're like, yeah, okay. But, like, Liam Cunningham's maybe the biggest name only because of Game of Thrones. And that's it. But it's an incredible cast. And a lot of these people appeared in his his future movies. Yeah, I mean, he had been... I, I would say that getting Kevin McKidd was his big coup because he had been Tommy, you know, before the train spotting was 1996. So he had been... At least he had been... Not that Tommy was a massive major role in train spotting, but he was a big enough one uh, that mattered. Um, so that people remembered him. So that that was a pretty good. Although under the soldiers' helmets, you know, you can't tell what anybody looks like anyway. That's always the biggest problem, uh, you know, for filmmakers is when you dress up like a soldier, you look everybody looks the same. So you, it's kind of like you're wasting your stars. Yeah, uh, I like I like ways. how they like three of the soldiers get off a helicopter and immediately their helmets are gone, like yeah, thrown to the yeah. ground. It's kind and, of a similar problem that the the thin red line had as well. Um, where everybody looks the same and people get confused about who everybody is. <laughs> Unless you got a totally distinct face, you know, like Sean Penn or something. Um, you know, nobody's going to mistake him for anybody else. But yeah, Marshall is, he's very economic and he proved that even more with the descent. He's very good at picking at, at, at taking one location. In this case, th- there's more than one location in this movie because they do march through the forest and there's an attack in the forest and it's staged very well because he uses the shadows to convey the werewolves really, really well. And a lot of first person um, camera work. But he's very good at taking one space and making uh, like uh, the most out of it. So, the, like in this case, the house. Yeah, and I, I especially like how we get the point of view of the werewolves, which is very Evil Dead in many moments. Like you were very, talking about, very like evil the, dead. there's one shot where there's it's just a werewolf running through the woods, and I'm like, oh yeah, this is a nod to Raimi for sure. So I totally get what you're saying there. But uh, werewolf running through the woods in a point of view of the werewolf where the camera is in sort of like a sepia black and white tone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Simulating animal vision kind of thing or what they suppose animal vision would be. And he's good at, at using silhouettes. So he, he'll use the, the setting of the sun, you know, especially in that first attack in the woods. Uh, having the werewolves dash from tree to tree in silhouette is a good way to hide your you know, any, any sort of flaws in your makeup, in your costume design, which, you know, he doesn't focus on the werewolves almost ever. It's very quick cuts on the werewolves. He's not going to let the audience linger on the costumes. There's maybe one or two shots of the face. One I'm thinking of specifically where the werewolf actually opens its mouth, but most of the time there isn't a lot of, you don't see a lot with the werewolf suits. You get brief glimpses of them because I think that if you, if they were put under the microscope, they wouldn't pass muster, you know? I'm, um, I'm sure they wouldn't, but also, how do you maintain the reveal when it's a siege movie and you have to get to that siege, de- siege destination and have the people trapped inside? And if you can't show the threat, then how do you convey to the audience that it's real and menacing? I think he does a great job of making them imposing and threatening based on just the shadow of glimpses. My favorite shots in maybe the whole movie are, I think, the scene where uh, Kevin McKidd is goes outside with one of the other guys, and he has a flare, and he holds it up because they're looking at the car, which has been torn apart, 
again, letting us know that these werewolves are very intelligent. And they're surrounding them, just and it's just silhouettes. It's very effective, makes them more shadowy, more scary, while also not not giving away what they look like quite yet. It's very effective. I really like those pure silhouettes in the dark shots. Yeah, and that's my point. He does what he has. He knows that his suits aren't going to hold up to scrutiny. So he he does the right thing, which is the same thing that St- Steven Spielberg had to do in Jaws because the shark wouldn't work. And honestly, it's probably saved that movie uh, in many ways. That, you don't, that said... You, you don't want to see those werewolves very often. That would be a bad idea, and he knew that, and he understood how to make it work. The stills that you do get of the werewolves, though, do look really, really sharp, and I think that the designs are really, really well done. I, I heard that he hired dancers to and stuntmen to play the roles of the werewolves, so they're a little bit more lithe, they're a little bit more uh, agile, as opposed to just like big and monstrous. And I think it makes them more believable as creatures. Wait, what? what? Okay, hold on a second. I th- he hired dancers because they were on stilts. He wanted the werewolves to look a lot taller than the actual people, right? No, movement. The movement. No, their movement. He hired just dancers looks more... for the movement. Kind of similar to how um, Steven Spielberg hired dancers to, to do, like, velociraptors. Or they were they were like dance art, like, movement specialists to, to be in the velociraptor suits because they would, they could do things to make it look a little more animal, but also very fluid and flowing, whereas your typical stunt person might make it look a little bit jerky or make it look like a person in a suit kind of thing. Whereas these, these now, to be fair, he does not show them move very much either. That's another very smart thing he does. He doesn't let your eyes or your brain say, nope, that's not a real werewolf. He cuts away so quick that it, it is just a, a, an image burn to your brain. It becomes very effective. Those glimpses are enough for your imagination to fill in the rest of the blanks. Did you guys see the, I think it was 2010 remake of The Wolfman, Benicio Del Toro? Why would I want to watch that movie, Tim? I, I tried watching that. The CG was just too much. Because you, you really like the original and you just felt compelled to see it. There's like one shot in that movie where it's just like the most CG recreation of Benicio Del Toro's Wolfman. And he's like running on all fours, and it's yeah. the it's the most monstrous thing in that whole movie. Not because it's scary, but because it's just all all bad and none good. And I'm I think of like the stillness and the slowness of movement when we actually do get focused on the werewolves, which not only makes them a little bit more menacing and also like calculating, but also hides those very apparent flaws in movement. The howling does a very similar approach. The werewolves, when you're up close, do move very, very slowly and intentionally. And they're a little bit more calculating. And I think he, he does use that really, really well. And then when they are moving, it's, it's snapshots. They're flying out of windows. They don't fall backwards. They sail out of them when they get shot. So, yeah, definitely, definitely knows what he was doing with, with the wolves. You know what I don't understand? So Christopher Nolan has a movie coming out and he actually says that he crashed an entire plane, like a huge jet, because it was cheaper than using CGI to crash the plane. And so I'm always confused to why horror films, Hollywood horror films, decide to use CGI for their special effects when it's more expensive. And also it's been proven that old school, you know, prosthetics and makeup 
are more effective and better when producing, in this case, for example, werewolves. I just don't get it. When I think of the best werewolf movies, I think of, I know, Patrick, you don't like it, but I think of The Howling. I think of American Werewolf in London. I think of Ginger Snaps, which is an incredible, incredible Canadian film, werewolf movie, if you haven't seen it. Um, there's some good ones out there. By the way, um, story number two, John Landis, the director of An American Werewolf in London, also known as the greatest werewolf movie ever, was also on this very podcast years ago. I interviewed him for like an hour. Hmm. A lot of werewolf connections. Hey, man, I like my dogs. But, but he, here's my, my, my final question, right? So everyone else seems to change into a werewolf if they are, like, for example, scratched by a werewolf, right? If they have like yeah. some kind of like flesh wound and it came at the hands of one of these werewolves and then they transform. But... What is her story? Like, again, I'm still confused why she doesn't transform when everyone else... Like, why Why is it that all the other werewolves, they can't they can't not, like, not transform? Like, they can't help but transform, but she can. Like, what makes her special? Because she... Like, I don't get it. C- completely unknown, Rick. <laughs> and then that's why the, I think she kind of... The, de- the script. The she script kind of makes her special. devolves into what I, I see as more metaphor, like I said. And I think they're like, you can try to explain it away with nonsense. Like, oh, yeah, she was a zoologist. She understood animals. She can repress it because she understands animal instinct because she studied it. Like, it's all BS. Of course it's not true. It doesn't make any sense. You can try. And so it's almost easier to just, like, let the movie do what it's going to do because it's already there. And it's it's just going to it's going to be a part of it, I guess. I think there's a couple of things that got. First of all, this movie doesn't dive too deep into werewolf mythology or lore. It doesn't get too deep into the rules. Yes, there are a couple of cuts to the full moon, but nobody ever says, "Oh, they've transformed because of the full moon." The, and, and in fact, these or, these werewolves are far more organized than you normally see werewolves. Usually, it's a thing of chaos. It's a Jekyll and Hyde thing, right? With a person and a werewolf. Uh, and here you you see that they clearly have, you know, the bodies are strung up, they know what they're doing, they're organized and they're preparing food, and and this happens periodically that they go out and they kill somebody. I think it's implied that they're smarter than most werewolves are. Most werewolves in movies are just rage machines that just go on a tear. These are calculating creatures that that actually have a plan and no and, and a purpose to their killing. Like they're getting food. That's why they're hanging everybody up. Like they're saving this food. So I don't, th- I, this could be a, a very well be a thing where they can turn at will and they just choose to do it every now and again because they need to eat. But I don't, I don't know that it's ever implied that the full moon is actually what makes them turn into werewolves. It's just a couple of cuts to the moon. Nobody ever says anything about the rules of the werewolves other than a little brief mention of silver. And of course, you know, one of the guys is killed with a silver knife. But other than that, they, they don't really dive into it. I always, that's the way I choose to see it, is that whole family can change whenever they want to. And every now and again, they decide to do it at the same time and, and, and go out and, and hunt as a pack. It seems like Ryan, as a character, supports that hypothesis that they do transform at will. Maybe it's aggression. Mm-hmm. And, and you could say the same of Megan. She doesn't transform until she feels she has to. Mm-hmm. And like that, that could be part of it. It seems like this family is more than happy with their lives as solitary werewolves. And I, I think that they're used to be smart, a smart squadron of animals to, to be juxtaposed with this platoon of soldiers. Uh, 
and I think that that works well, and I think that that kind of it it kind of is fun how the movie throws in lines about like the state of werewolves in this world and like what how they how the rules work and what they're composed of and all that. But they're com- they're always coming from the people who can't e- either can't say like Captain Ryan who's on some sort of secret mission, so he can't divulge any information. Or Megan, who wouldn't want to tell that information because she is one. And so it's it's the movie's toying with you because the movie knows where it's going and has that twist in mind. And so it kind of playfully flirts with some of the typical motifs of the werewolf movie without, I guess, putting all the cards on the table and saying, like, oh, here's the rules, silver bullet to the heart exclusively or what have you. And I, yeah. I really like that. And they toy with the silver right off the bat. I mean, they let you know that silver is going to be a thing with the very the actual opening of the movie with two campers yeah. in the woods who are you know going at it in their tent. And anyway, hate, one of them is I one of them is given a, a silver letter opener, and she makes a special point of saying it's a hundred percent silver, so yeah, don't lose I, it or something like that. So like they automatically were gonna. That's the only rule werewolf rule they laid down in this movie, and and no others. Other than that, they just. Yeah, they cut to the moon because it looks good. But I swear, there's a couple of shots where the moon doesn't look completely doesn't full look either. Full. Yeah. <laughs> I just think I'm overthinking the movie. And again, I love this movie. But when I think of the motivations of the werewolves and the screenplay, it confuses me because yeah. when you mention how they're so organized and so intelligent, you are correct. Like they actually hunt like a pack of dogs, right? They 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 move in unison. Like these are not crazy just werewolves they're they're actually intelligent like animals but mm-hmm. i i'm just confused because okay here's my i swear it's my last question so liam cunningham's character the captain right he turns into a werewolf towards the end of the film because he gets scratched or bitten or whatever it is right he so he's never been a werewolf prior to that scene that's the first no. time he turns into a werewolf yeah Okay. That's correct. Because, like, you know what I what I love about American Werewolf in London is when we finally when 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 the main character in that film starts to transform into a werewolf. When he wakes up, he doesn't remember anything. He wakes up like naked, for example. He has no idea what happened to him. As the movie progresses, he starts to understand what's happening to him. So, for someone to get bitten by a werewolf, know that they're going to turn into a werewolf, then transform into a werewolf, and all of a sudden just to be on the same side as the werewolves and decide that I'm going to team up with these werewolves even though I'm still intelligent like they, and I know what's going on because I'm intelligent and I know what happened to me, but all of a sudden I'm going to start eating people. That's the thing that doesn't make sense. It's heavily implied that that he's a dick. So (laughs) that Captain Ryan is an absolute dick. And basically, like, he knows what he's doing when he's going after Cooper in the end. You get the sense that he is Captain Ryan, now werewolf, no, but still he, Captain Ryan werewolf, going after Cooper specifically because he, he and Cooper He's punching have a, Cooper, too. He's not scratching nope, him. Nope, he's, he's not, not biting him. him. He's beating him up because he's he doesn't like he doesn't like him. And so, yeah, it's implied that he, I think he just joins up. I always get the sense that he's just a complete dick and he joins up because they're the winning side. And that Captain Ryan strikes me as the guy that just wants to be on the winning side. That's why he's perfectly content to sacrifice his own soldiers, like his comrades. They're not obviously special forces soldiers, but they were expendable by his eyes because he doesn't really care about the people. I think he just cares about being on the powerful side and the werewolves are are, are the powerful side. So he's joining them there's a lot that can kind of be inferred about his character in just like a few moments. Like 
he still has the sword in him, so maybe he wasn't he wasn't actually there like when the werewolves went back inside. He's still like laying under the house, taking it easy. So maybe he wasn't actually like on their side. Uh, it makes sense that he would be trying like avoiding the humans and trying to survive because he has what he needs. If he is the werewolf, he can go back and be exactly what the British army is apparently looking for because everyone knows that everyone wants to weaponize werewolves. It's all over the news all the time, right? Uh, and I, I think that also we get the sense that, he, he, like Patrick was saying, he's very intentionally attacking Cooper. So he still has that grudge, and he never forgets. Even in werewolf form, he's he's still out there to, to I guess, make his point across that he's the alpha dog. I don't know. Yeah, there's a there's a lot to think about in this movie, but I, again, I want to stress uh, for anybody out there listening, it's not like the thing where you're going to be dissecting each one of these characters and their mo- you know their motivations. I'm more with you, Rick. Even though I'm trying to explain things here, I don't believe it's very well constructed in that sense. I don't believe the script is you know one of Neil Marshall's finest. <laughs> he got a lot better at it with the, with the Descent, but uh, I think it's a fun enough you know fun enough movie and, and it's well done in, in so many other aspects of it that I'm willing to ignore these things that don't make sense. So we're at the 50 minute mark, but before we cut the break, I just want to push back on what you said early in the podcast when you said it's not really a horror film. And the reason why I disagree is because there's such a focus on the special effects and the gore. And I was actually kind of like surprised rewatching it, how gory the movie is because remembering the film has been a low budget you know, I think it's made for like a million dollars. I'm not entirely sure what the budget is. Anyways, whatever. It's it's a low budget film. It was 1.2 million pounds. Okay, still, so, and I'm sure I'm sure a lot of that money went to like advertising and post production, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But keep in mind, it was shot on film. Nowadays, they shoot so many things digitally that you can have lower budgets than that. Even, but back then, that was still low budget. Which explains why it's so grainy. But anyways, yeah. so low-budget first-time feature, and I was really surprised at how gory it is. So the thing about this movie is because it focuses so much on the gore, because it's a werewolf movie, and yes, it is like an action horror film, and it does have a lot of action and adventure, and it's a siege movie. It's all of those things, but it's also a horror film. It's like a, a blend of different genres. But I have to say it's still a horror film because... I would have to think twice before I recommend this movie to someone who does not like watching a lot of gore in a movie because there's a lot of gore. I mean, there's a scene where the guy's intestines are hanging out and they need to shove it back into his stomach. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Which I think is kind of, I mean, again, Predator has some pretty heavy gore in spots too, but I don't consider that a horror movie either. I consider it more of a uh, sometimes creepy, but mostly action adventure. And it's the tone of this that I don't think supports horror because I don't, there's not a ton of suspenseful dread in this. It's more like a rah-rah troops kind of thing. Like we're going to get them boys and, uh, you know, we're holed up, but we're all staying positive. You don't get the sense of like, it's like the difference between alien and aliens Aliens, yes, there are horror elements in it, more so than I, I would argue than than Dog Soldiers has, but it is definitely more of an action movie. It is not a straight-up horror movie like Alien is. Like Aliens has a slightly different tone, uh, enough of a different tone that I wouldn't put them, they don't feel exactly the same to me. I See, I always draw the line with the supernatural and science fiction. Like The thing about Predator is a good, good example, by the way. But Predator, it's an alien from another planet, right? So it's science fiction. Dog Soldiers, it's a being, like a supernatural, like in this case, a werewolf. Like 
on this planet, on the planet of Earth. Aliens is like, I agree with you, the first Alien is like a horror film because of the way it's shot, the way it builds the suspense, but it's it has to do with the direction, like Ridley Scott and the way he shot the movie. Aliens mm-hmm. is a straight-up action film. I still think that because it deals with werewolves, because it has a certain amount of gore, because it has you know traditional jump scares, of which there are plenty, it is a blend of the action sci-fi adventure that you get in something like predator but i think there's enough horror in it to justify calling it a horror film i could not not make a list of the best horror films of the 2000s and not include this in the list Mm -hmm. yeah it's i mean that's going to be more of a subjective thing i guess i i i I just i know in like in my brain my brain tells me it's a horror movie but when i'm watching it i don't feel like it is that's all um, but we should probably uh, wrap things up really quick here for a general discussion. Uh, we will have plenty more to say about dog soldiers when we come back. But for now, here is another brief clip. I want to know what scares a Sarge. Pissed off, man. Nothing scares a Sarge. I don't know about that. I thought I'd never see my wife again scares the shit out of me. That and those little things that make your skin crawl. And the hairs stand up in the back of your neck. You mean like Spoon? <laughs> no, there's one thing actually in particular that I remember till the day that I die. Yeah, it's back in 91, just before my uh, unit was flown out to Kuwait to mop up the last pockets of resistance. Me and this young fella called Eddie Oswald decided to go and get a tattoo done to commemorate our first trip into the desert. Uh, I remember it. He was a, he was a stocky hard case with a broken nose and a bong eye, yeah? Yeah, that's him. Good-looking fella. Big hit with the ladies. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, me and Eddie, we went out a few drinks. We had a lot of drinks. And we went down to the tattoo parlour and I got a desert rat done. And Eddie, being Eddie, wanted something a bit more meaning. And being a bit of a believer, he said that his soul still belonged to God. But his flesh, well, his flesh was way beyond redemption. And it was up to Satan save his skin okay we are back and it is uh, we're at that time of the podcast where we're going to ask our five questions which has been somewhat modified in the last week or so but uh, they're mostly the same uh for anybody who listens you're going to get the same stuff here tim i you have not been subjected to this yet but uh, we always like to start things off on a positive note and i feel like we've been mostly positive about this movie uh but we're going to start things off on a very positive note what's your favorite scene from dog soldiers yeah, I think I already kind of gave this away, and that's my bad. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, I really love the scene in which uh, Kevin McKidd's character, Cooper, goes out, and he holds up a flare, and you can just see the silhouettes of the werewolves. It makes them immediately more believable, because you can't look at them closely, more menacing. They're just completely bathed in shadow. It's just silhouettes. and It's so effective, and for a movie that does kind of toe the line between action uh, a very action-oriented movie and a horror movie. I think that that's one of the more horrific moments where they it's very you'd feel very exposed in that moment. And I found it really relatable and really, really great. I don't know, very effectively shot. Yeah, he always, he does really well with the visuals. I think uh, horror visuals is, is something Neil Marshall's very good at. He also loves his flares. Every yeah. single movie, <laughs> yeah. there's flares. Even in Game of Thrones, there's flares. Oh, <laughs> uh, he certainly does like those. Uh, Rick, do you want to go? Do you want to go next? Or do you want me to go? 
Yeah, so my favorite scene is the scene in which Captain Ryan, played by Liam Cunningham, transforms into the werewolf. Only we don't see the transformation, but I love the fact that we don't see it. I think it works better when we don't see it. Basically, he falls out of frame. We get the reactions of everyone else in the room staring in horror. We see his 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 nails like sort of like stretch and we hear him growl and howl. And then, bam, we see him as a werewolf. And it's like, it's one of the few times we actually see a good steady shot of a werewolf for, like, more than, like, say, like, three seconds, right? Like, you know, actually, it's a static shot of him, the werewolf. And uh, I also just like the scene because of the buildup, like, the the exchange of words between him and, and, um, and Cooper. And, yeah, like... It's Liam Cunningham, and he his performance is fantastic in the film. So to me, that's the highlight of the movie. It's my favorite scene. Yeah, I, I love, he's like sitting at the table, right? And he falls below the table, and he scratches his nails across the table as he's falling down. So it gives you something as an audience to look at. That's kind of the important thing. If you are going to be making low-budget movies and you have to hide a lot of the effects, you still got to give people something to look at. So it can't just be like a blank space. Like if he had just fallen below the table and then you cut to the reactions of everybody and then all of a sudden, you know, he stands up and he's a werewolf. It's not as effective as when you do see the nails, uh, the yellow pointed nails dragging across the wooden table, even though the rest of him is below the table and you can't see him. You're getting and the idea of the pain that's happening of the transformation and the monstrosity kind of thing. You're getting at least a visual. It's very clever. Once again, he takes a page out of uh, Sam Raimi's book because Sam Raimi does the exact same thing in Evil Dead when the, the demon is in the basement and... Well, not the basement, but um, the cellar. The cellar, and so you see her, her, her hand sort of like she's like trying to get out, and she has those big long nails and the claws, and and he, it's kind of like the same thing except he's just behind a table. It's it's a really really clever way to shoot a scene and hide the fact that you have a small budget and you know you don't have enough like. I guess money to actually do the werewolf transformation. You know what? Even if he had the money, to be honest, like to do the transformation, I don't think he can do anything as good as what we see in the Howling or American Werewolf in London, unless he actually called those dudes in to do the work because those guys are like special effects wizards. And his team here is pretty talented. Like I'm looking at Internet Movie Database, and you know they they've worked on a lot of movies, but they are not quite at that level. No, and then you have to ask yourself, would it serve the movie? Does the movie need the transformation scene? Is the transformation scene important? It is important in American Wolf in London. It's very important to the character. You need to understand what he goes through, the pain that he goes through, because he's dealing with pain throughout that entire movie, and so it's important to see him go through that. It would not serve any narrative or character purpose to watch anybody go through the transformation in, in Dog Soldiers. It just wouldn't matter. Yeah, and I think that the payoff is there too. Like the slow rising werewolf is a cool and evocative and effective sure. shot as well. So I like that it could have been a cheap scare moment, and I that would have completely derailed the 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 tension of the actual moment. It's not right. about that. Like I was when I first watched the movie, I fully expected someone to get pulled under the table and it, like blood to like shoot out, and it would have ruined the whole scene. But we don't get that. Instead, we get kind of a, a fuller reveal of the werewolf in the uh, antagonist. Right. So uh, my favorite scene is earlier in the movie. It's Sans Werewolves. 
Uh, it's the campfire scene. I love when the soldiers are sitting around the campfire and when you actually get to know them. Because I love movies, as I've said this multiple times and I will continue to say this for the rest of my life, that I love movies where a group of characters is put in a survival situation, especially when they're trapped. Um, so I like getting to know the people and the dynamics, and that's the first time that you really get to see the real dynamics. Earlier on, when they get off the helicopter, you see brief glimpses, but those are too broad and cartoonish. The campfire is where you actually get to know the characters and it ends with the cow being dropped off, the cow falling off the cliff, which is a fantastic jump scare. Right as Spoon is about to tell a joke. It's a great little, it's great timing uh, after you've gone through this whole, you know, you've gone through Cooper telling everybody saying what they're scared of. And Cooper, you know, revealing his whole thing with women and spider women. And then you've got uh, Sergeant Wells tells his story about his friend who uh, triggered a mine and that's sort of the serious moment and kind of lets you know that these guys are in for some actual combat because they haven't really seen any before other than the sergeant. And yeah, then, then spoons joke and the, the cow, it's a perfect little setup. Uh, yeah, that, that to me, that movie, I could, I could, I could have kept on watching that scene, but it, it takes the perfect amount of time and ends, ends well. Uh, all right. So that being said, uh, Tim, if there's one thing that you could change about dog soldiers, what would it be? Oh man, uh, I a lot of people would complain about that twist needing to be clearer. For me, the thing that I like wasn't too crazy about was one of the final shots when Cooper shoots the final werewolf, and it's like the like, "Ha, I got, I had the last laugh" kind of moment, mm-hmm. and I don't think it was shot that well it's just kind of like cheesy and that's when it kind of devolved entirely into action movie like you could have replaced kevin mckid with will smith and had the the one-liner be way worse and it would have fit into a terrible action movie uh so i i don't know that just it didn't fit the rest of the movie especially when like this guy's gonna go through a lot of stuff after this his whole platoon is dead and he's still cracking, um, not even a joke. Mm-hmm. Just like a lame line. I don't know. I didn't. I didn't love it. I would have changed that. So, for me, I guess I would have changed. Ricky, Ricky already brought up how everybody looks looks alike. There's there's plenty of little things that you can pick, especially in a, in a first time low budget movie. There's lots of little things that I would change. But I think the thing that that would stop most people from being able to enjoy this movie is the fact that all the uh, actors look alike and they get confused really early on it's that fire scene the campfire scene where you can really start to tell people apart i would have had better intro than the the i would have slowed down the editing a lot when they get off the helicopter at the beginning and they have the little scene in the woods it irritates me how quickly he cuts back and forth between everybody and you never get a chance to let anybody's face sink in and their helmets are on a lot of times covering their eyes so, you know, with, or there's a shadow. The shadow from their helmet is covering their eyes. So you don't get a real good look at anybody, and it doesn't serve this movie particularly well. I understand war movies that want to make everybody seem like the common man kind of thing, and, you know, we're all in this together, and all soldiers are the same, like the Thin Red Line, where it didn't really matter who was saying what line. But in a movie like this, you do need to get to know the personalities, and it's clear that he's making an effort to have personalities but you need to have either something distinct that we can identify them by so that we know what the hell is going on, or you need to slow it down a little bit and not do this rapid, not rapid fire. He doesn't go that quite that far, but he does. And he is an editor by trade. That's what he started out doing. But I, 
I, I feel like he should have slowed that down there at the beginning and given us just a little bit better of an introduction. It didn't need to be this gung-ho action scene with them dropping in. It could have been a nice quiet scene, actually, with the helicopter dropping them off. But, uh, you know, it's the start of the mission. It doesn't need to be the razzmatazz. So I would have changed that. I don't think it fits the mood of the, the rest of the... Well, it, it does and fit the mood of the rest of the movie, but I don't think it serves the rest of the movie. Let's put it that way. Yeah, I, I like... Part of it is also just the cast. It's like there's one red-headed guy who has a different accent in the protagonist, so he sticks out. And then Ryan and Wells kind of stick out well enough. And Megan's, of course, a woman. But then well, everyone else is just like male, roughly the same height, and all have dark hair and like the same I, haircut, I would, military I cut. Re- I wouldn't recast it. I'm not saying that. Like, I don't think that those guys actually look alike in real life. I, I think you just don't get a chance to get to know them until the campfire. But once the campfire hits, I don't have a problem with any of them anymore because that's when you finally get to see their personalities and they're, and they're made distinct. So I don't, I don't really technically have a problem with the way the guy. It's all about how movies are shot a lot of the time. Those guys in real life, I wouldn't mistake them ever if they were standing next to each other. But and I'd be able to identify Spoon in a second, right? But it's just at the beginning of the movie, his his editing to me is just too quick, and it doesn't let the audience recognize anybody, and so it becomes ultimately too confusing until, like I say, the campfire scene when everything settles down for me, and all of a sudden now I know who everybody is. There are techniques that they could have employed that they just didn't. Like, one of the guys could have just always had a cigarette, and it could have been his thing. Like, he could have always had a lighter and a cigarette, and it could have been comical. Like, he's literally always smoking, but it would have helped him stand out if he was the only one the entire movie. You know what I'm saying? Like, they could have done something simple that would have visually tipped off the audience frequently. Yeah, so I'm not entirely sure what I would add to the conversation in terms of, like, what I would change. Um I don't know if I would change anything, really, apart from... Actually, I know what I would change. Okay, so help me out here. So at the end of the movie, right, when there's only, like, about two or three werewolves left, and his best friend transforms into the werewolf in the kitchen right before... I don't know if it's private. uh, Captain Ryan comes in the kitchen and attacks him anyways. You know what I'm talking about? He's in the kitchen, and he's Uh, trying to light it up. It's a different werewolf that... Yeah, that's just the It's a different werewolf. That attacks him in the kitchen, yeah. Man, the werewolves all look the same, too. That's another problem. <laughs> Anyways. Yeah. So, but that scene, okay? So, like, in that scene, there there's a shot where we hear what seems to be the dog, because there is a dog in the movie. By the way, that dog looks like a dog and doesn't look like anybody else in the movie. It's clearly a dog. But the <laughs> dog growls. And then we get, like, this weird close-up of two heads of two werewolves. And I was, okay, so here's the thing. I'm not sure if the dog attacked the werewolf to try to save his life or if it was a werewolf attacking the werewolf to save Private Cooper's life. There is a very odd shot. Oh, yes. no, it's, it's, it's the, the dog. dog. It the is dog. the dog attacking the werewolf to save Cooper's life. He's attacking Captain Ryan. And, and, and in that's interesting. That's, that's in interesting if only because the dog doesn't attack the family of werewolves because he's their dog. Yeah. But he does attack Ryan. So there is some semblance of reasoning Of logic there, yeah. Yeah. That is the dog. You're right. That is a very awkward shot, though. You have to think for a second. What just happened? Oh, it was probably the dog that attacked him. Yeah, that makes sense because he likes the dog, and the dog likes him. And, like, even when Ryan shows up there, it's clearly Ryan because he's still got the sword in his chest. But, like, 
he's not visible right away and you just kind of hear werewolf noises and then the dog attacks a little bit later and it's like too much is not actually shown it just like sound effects are imply what maybe wasn't properly caught on camera yeah that's the stuff that you have to chalk up to low budget and they're stuck in the editing room they did the best that they could with what they had for some reason something might have not worked out who knows if the film that they shot just went bad at some point uh all right so tim who's your mvp of dog soldiers uh i am going to say the dancers that played the werewolves i think that this werewolf is a really cool design i thought it was simple but also kind of like met all my criteria for a proper werewolf not fully wolf not fully man sure it's clearly like someone wearing a skin suit with like a wolf head on but i think it works for the movie i liked the design and uh yeah just the right amount of cool and intimidating it's a good werewolf design um it's better than most that's for sure i would say better than most uh, it's not very clumsy, which is nice to see, because uh, yeah. too often they look they look like clunky creature from the Black Lagoon, you know, unwieldy suits. Uh, and werewolves, of course, should be able to move very, very freely and quickly. Uh, for me, the MVP, I mean, there's no doubt in my mind. I mean, Rick, I, you're, I don't know what you were going to say. Do you want to go first? Okay, I mean, I'm going with Neil Marshall on this one, because I don't think the movie is going to be nearly as inventive or watchable or entertaining without him directing it. I think you could remove all that. You could replace all the cast with other actors and it wouldn't really matter that much, even though there's some, some nice faces in there and, and the actors do a, you know, a, a, a good job, but I think you could have cast a bunch of other different actors and you could have gotten a good job out of them as well. Um, no, I, and I don't think it's, it's certainly not the cinematography, which isn't, isn't necessarily anything to write home about it for a first feature. It's all done very well. Uh, it, you know, it's lit well enough. Uh, there are, there are a little bit of funky things occasionally. Um, but yeah, it's the direction. I, I think this movie doesn't work without the direction. And he clearly is the editor as well. Even though I have do take issue with some of the editing choices, the direction's all really good. And that's what makes this movie work, ultimately. By the way, this movie was produced by Kevin Figgs. Um, oh no, sorry. It's not Kevin Figgs. What's his name? Christopher Figg. Christopher Figg. It's the same guy who produced Hellraiser. Oh. Yeah. Anyhow. What about you, Rick? Do you have an MVP? I mean, my MVP's got to be Neil Marshall, but you've kind of already spoken for me, so I'm just going to throw in Kevin McKidd has... Uh, Cooper. Cooper. He's actually really, really good in this movie, considering that he's never really had a big major role. Like I said, he was in Rome and a few uh, movies and TV shows afterwards, but of all the actors in this movie, I mean, Liam Cunningham is good, but he's also playing the dick right he's playing the captain he he's not supposed to be a likable guy and i just think it's easier to play that kind of a character as opposed to someone that you're trying to get people to root for you and like you especially when you look like all the other characters in a movie um so i'm just going to give him a special mention but yeah for sure hands down neil marshall and again it's because he's the director and he's also the editor and i'm pretty sure he helped produce the movie and he wrote it. Too. Yeah. He wrote it. Helped. Well, he he's co- he, he really he's the only writer. Yeah, huh. he's the sole credit. Yep. Single. Wow. Credit. I thought he. It's a, this is his movie. This is his movie. This is his baby. Yeah. Yeah, he Robert Rodriguez. This thing. Um, 
<laughs> basically did everything. He didn't shoot it, I guess. That's the only thing. Uh, yeah, so, all right. So, all that being said, does this movie pass the Howard Hawks test? Which was, is it comprised of three great scenes and no bad ones? That, to Howard Hawks, was a great movie. Tim, does Dog Soldiers fit that bill? Oh, man, I don't want you to come to me first. Uh, this is my first time playing we this game. We always go to the guests first, because... You know, you got to save the the correct opinions for last. Uh, <laughs> it, hmm. No, it does have flaws. It doesn't quite pass. It does have some issues we've already scenes. So three great three great scenes and no bad scenes. So no bad scenes. Yeah. Oh man. You know what? I'm just going to go ahead and answer. The answer is yes, because here's the thing. It has flaws. It does not have a bad scene. It has three great scenes. There are flaws. Every movie has a flaw. No movie is perfect. But name me Mm -hmm. one bad scene in this movie. Like one scene that's bad. I can't name one. Even even the scene that I think causes the most issue with this movie, again, that, that twist reveal, it's directed really well. And I think has some of the most effective uh, direction when the wolf family shows up behind Megan. I think it's really, really cool. And kind of, I again, I, I stand by Megan's more just supposed to be an idea than a person. I think it kind of pushes her into the stuff of nightmares for Cooper in that sequence as she's surrounded by werewolves, kind of solidifying her more as like something that he's just scared of. Because maybe Rick, right? Maybe he's gay, and like, well, that that scene, like, but is it doesn't bad? Make, is it a bad scene? Does, doesn't make logical sense. It's still shot really well, and it still works effectively for the Dude, movie. Back to the Future makes no sense. Terminator makes no sense. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I still think it's I still think it's a good scene. It, it's yeah, it has a exactly. flaw, which comes from the screenplay, but I still think it's a good scene. So I uh, am going to answer no for this question. That is not a, not <laughs> because I do think there is one bad scene, which I would call bad, and I've I've never liked this scene every time I watch the movie, and I always am tempted to fast forward through it, and I, I think it just it's it's not like torturous, but it is bad, I think, uh, and that is the scene where they're fixing up Sergeant Wells. They spend so much time up there in that bed with Sergeant Wells, and he's drunk, and apparently the actor in real life was drunk performing the scene. And it shows, because he's not very good. <laughs> um, it, it, it's the, the whole fixing it up, it's completely and utterly pointless. Um, it allows them to do so a little bit of exposition dump that is completely unnecessary. Didn't even really need to hear that she was a zoologist. Didn't need to know that at all. Um, that could have been revealed later on if they wanted to by, by Captain Ryan. But there's a little bit of meaningless exposition that, that actually contributes nothing to the story. Um, I think Sergeant Wells just drones on and on and on with Cooper, but doesn't actually reveal anything about Cooper's character via that conversation or Sergeant Wells's character. And it's just a pointless thing in order to throw in the super glue line about how it was developed during the Vietnam War, which was a send-off of some book saying that Superglue was developed in the Vietnam War that some woman learned in a werewolf movie. So it was just a little, it was a reference. And I think it, I think the whole scene was made for a reference, to tell you the truth. Because every time I watch it, I don't know what it contributes to, to the movie at all. And I think the, the, the 
the lines, the dialogue, and the acting is kind of bad in it, too. So that's my one bad scene in this movie. But that's it, though. So, no, it doesn't fit the Howard Hawks bill for me. But the rest of the movie's great. Are you guys okay with that scene? Yeah. I don't think I mean, it's a bad scene. It's not a great scene, but it's not it's, a bad it's over, scene. It's overly long, and I'll agree that the dialogue is a little bit gimmicky just because it it is kind of... I thought it was solely there to really push home that Wells and Cooper like care about each other in a very brotherly way. They would do anything for each other. And it, it's kind of giving you more, uh, I guess appreciation for the character of Wells who hasn't been as, de- as developed as Cooper has at this point, but you, he's going to make it up until the very end and you have to care about him too. So like he's, he does, he doesn't take it for granted that Cooper did save him when he didn't save Bruce, which I mean, clearly Bruce was already dead, but still, uh, so, but I just thought it went a little overly long, and the acting was a little bit over the top. I'll give you that, but I don't think it was bad per se. Yeah, I don't like. I I don't think it actually adds anything to Wells' character, and in fact, it makes me like both of them a little bit less. <laughs> like that scene for me detracts just a little bit, but it detracts from their characters. And again, that's the only scene for me. Otherwise, I really really like this movie. Obviously, I picked it because I really really like this movie. Um, yeah, very, very, it's, it just doesn't pass. Not every movie needs to pass the Howard Hawks test. And for me, this wasn't, this one doesn't. However, okay, so I'm saying it's not an all time great Howard Hawks, great movie by his definition, but it is going to be a great movie for some people. Will it be a great movie for everybody? I don't know. Tim, who would you recommend this movie to? This one's pretty easy. I think there's a specific type of horror fan out there that I fall into this category like we just like creature features sometimes, you know, like it's not my exclusive go-to with horror, but sometimes I just want a good monster movie. And I think that this is everything that I want in a creature feature. Specifically, it's a very unique werewolf movie. It stands apart because it's not trying to be the Wolfman or an American werewolf in London. It's just trying to be like the fun action version of the werewolf movie and a siege movie very much in the vein of Night of the Living Dead. I think one of the working titles was actually Night of the Werewolf, which is a bit too on the nose. Every time I see a movie like this, I cannot help but think of real Bravo. Like, I think of this as a siege film. Like, first it's a siege film, it's a werewolf movie, it's a horror film, it's an action film, it's an adventure film. It's all of these things, but it's a siege film. Uh, yeah, they do get they do get to the cabin within 30 minutes, and then there's still another hour of the film. I actually, like, looked for that. I was like, they get there to the cabin really, really quick. So it's definitely intentionally very much a siege film. But I think that anyone that's just a creatures enthusiast that likes a good monster, I think this movie will appeal to you. There's a very specific horror fan. I don't think it's for everyone, but if you can, if you can just have fun, yeah. I would recommend this movie to anyone who has a brain and anyone who has good taste. <laughs> this movie is amazing, okay? This movie is amazing, like... I would not recommend this movie to anyone who is easily bothered by gore and blood. Yeah. But if you like action films, if you like, you know, you mentioned Predator earlier, the early, like the original Predator film. If you like, um, if you like Rio Bravo, if you like John Carpenter, if you like Sam Raimi, if you like Evil Dead, if you like American Werewolf in London... Uh, I mean, if you like horror films, like, this movie is a must-see. I, I honestly think, like, again, 
I haven't made a list of the best horror films released after 2000, but I did make my giant list of the best horror films made before the year 2000. But I think if I were to make that list, this movie would be like up there. It would be high. It would be like it's it's a great film. It is amazing. So, um, yeah, I so my whole thing is this this movie debuted on the Sci-Fi Channel in the U.S. Um, and it I think it played at the Egyptian. The the director said for like a week, and that was it. That was the only theatrical release it had. To me, this is what every Sci-Fi Channel movie that came after that or before that was trying to achieve. Which, like Tim, you said, it's a creature feature thing. That's who I recommend this to. I'm not sure this has super broad appeal. Uh, not everybody's going to be into werewolf stuff. Like some people just don't don't care for that stuff. But I think this is in this is a movie that is perfect for people who are are entertained by Sci-Fi Channel creature movies. Uh, as bad as they can be, this one is not bad. It's very it's what those movies wish they were. Or and it's how so many of them. And I don't mean the shark. Sharknadoes. That that's all bullshit stuff. Those things. Those movies aren't even trying to be good. I mean, the actual monster movies on Sci Fi Channel that are low budget, where they tried to make a real movie, and you can laugh at it a little bit because they fail spectacular on so many levels, but they're also very endearing because they were sincere, sincerely trying. This is a movie that tries to do the creature feature and utterly succeeds. So it's what those movies are striving for. It's it's what every low budget kind of creature feature movie should strive towards. This is a real movie, and that's the way. This is how you make a real low-budget creature feature. So yeah, I, I would recommend it for anybody who's in, who who likes those Sci-Fi Channel ones. Who who like me? That's because that's me, right? Like I've said that before too. I am I have a soft spot in my heart for the people who make sincere Sci-Fi Channel monster movies that only play on Saturday afternoon um, because they're just and never got a theatrical release. Like they were really they were really going for it. <laughs> <laughs> they just failed, but I like watching. It's interesting to me to see how they fail. Dog Soldiers, he succeeds. I don't think I've ever watched a movie made specifically for the Sci-Fi Channel. Like this movie wasn't made for the Sci-Fi Channel. I no, know no. It they premiered. bought it, right? Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, like I've never seen Sharknado. Yeah. Oh, no, no, that's awful. That's awful. That's a, that's a piece of that, that's just a piece of trash. And it's winking at itself. It's making fun of. It's mocking that whole thing, right? It's yeah. Meta. Uh, Sci-Fi Channel used to have Sci-Fi Channel movies, right? And they would be Sci-Fi Channel brand Sci-Fi Channel movies, and they were, you know, things like troll, a troll attacks a village in, you know, in the middle of nowhere, or pterodactyls, right, or stuff like that. Let's they would the try. Yeah, they would one. try to do things. There were some of them that I thought were were half decent. They were really going for it, man. And I, I used to, you know, on an old website that I used to have, uh, Rick, you know, at Porcupine Sunday. Um, I, there was a time when I used to review one of those every month just because I, I would actually watch a, a few of them and then sort of do like capsule reviews of each one of them just because some of them were interesting. They had interesting premises and concepts. They just didn't have the, the quite the writing, the, the dialogue skills or the actors, you know, to really pull off what they were doing. And they had to really go low budget with the cinematography, which, which hurt a lot. Um, but anyway, they, this, this is a movie, uh, dog soldiers always reminds me of that. It's why it also has a soft spot, you know, place in my heart because it is what these movies want to be. And, uh, it's, it's something like I say that anybody who's interested in making a low budget horror movie should look at, to see how it was successful. Man, yeah, I, I feel like if this got a wider, the wider release in the U.S. that it deserved, 
it would probably be better remembered and more widely recognized as like Marshall's pre-descent. Like it really is the descent part, part one or point nine. Yeah, very much a precursor. I just posted the schedule, or not, sorry, not the schedule, the first wave of films announced for the Fantasia Film Festival. And I just realized that one of the movies, The Reckoning, is directed by Neil Marshall. Sure is. I did not realize this. So his new movie is going to premiere at the Fantasia Film Festival in August. So excited. Um, I haven't seen Hellboy. And here's the weird thing. So he made Dog Soldiers, amazing. The Descent, amazing. Doomsday, eh, it's fun. It's okay. Centurion's really good. He did the segment of Tales of Halloween, Bad Seed, and he did Hellboy. But it's 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 weird because he's done more TV than movies since he his career kicked off with Dog Soldiers. But now it seems like he's going back into making movies because he's got The Reckoning coming out. And apparently he is directing the sequel to Skull Island. Oh, really? That'll be interesting. I think he can pull that off, actually. Yeah. I, I, I think the, that's not a... A bad choice. I think, I think especially he after just, watching this, I think I'm like, yeah. He can he can inject the humor in there. I think he can he can definitely put that because you know Skull Island, of course, definitely humor. Yeah, I will. I will always keep my eye out. Ever since seeing the descent, I have kept my eye on anything Neil Marshall does, just because I, it's of potential interest to me. I think that movie is an absolute stone cold masterpiece. Um, so any once you've done one of those, you you get attention for you know forever so i'll always at least have my eye on that one yeah when are you guys doing the descent <laughs> like can we talk about the double horror in that movie where you're like being stuck underground is bad enough and then things get worse in that movie so clever that one will have to come for uh that'll have to happen another time tim but uh unfortunately our neil marshall discussion is gonna have to come to an end today we're gonna have to wrap things up here uh go see dog soldiers guys tim where can we find you online? Yeah, you can find me at the Freemason, M-A-I-S-O-N. Uh, if you like video games, go listen to N-Express. Uh, my co-hosts are subpar, but I'm pretty great on it. And, uh, <laughs> I have a, true. and I have a very mediocre show called Game Boys, which is all about co-op and multiplayer, but there's some laughs to be had there, so check that out as well. And uh, you can find me when I am online, which is very, very rare these days. It'll be on Goombastomp whenever I do actually go back online. <laughs> <So> <laughs> but obviously co-hosting the NXPress uh, podcast with Tim and Rick. And uh, hopefully writing soon. I, I feel like we're on the cusp of coffee shops opening up again. So at least here in Minnesota. So I'll uh, hopefully be able to go write again pretty soon. Uh, Rick, can, where can we find you online? You can find me over at Goombastomp.com, and I run the official Twitter account for Goombastomp, which is Goombastomp Mag. You can listen to the podcast on you can listen to the podcast on Spotify, YouTube, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Podbean, Google Play. I said Google Play. Hmm. Google Play is listed twice on the website, guys. Anyways, and of course on the website Goombastomp.com and or SortedCinema.com. Plenty of ways to listen to the podcast. Please give us a rating if you listen on iTunes. And we will be back next week to talk about La Hain, one of my favorite films of all time. Top 10, guys. And there you go. So we should be back next week. Until then. Oh.
never my men! Get up, you shit. You know what we can do. Give us a fighting chance! Never learn, Cooper. Whoa. I didn't hit him that hard. Shook something loose. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs>